Good morning. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate that warm welcome by Steve. I've, I've grown to, to know Steve and love Steve. I, I have l breakfast with him. Uh, at, I try to at least once a week at Washington Street Diner, and I enjoy my fellowship with him and sharing God's Word, insights back and forth. And I, <clears throat> I actually consider Steve a mentor. I like, I've, I've not just, I've grown to love Steve. I like his spirit. I like his, 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 his love for the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, I like his organizational skills, right? I'm going to tell you, this is a beautiful campus you've got here. This is gorgeous. I, this is my first time inside. I've been outside several times. First time inside. And it's beautiful, and I appreciate the opportunity and the faithfulness or, uh, that Steve has and, and his faith in me to come and share God's Word with you today. Um, I like Peter. Don't you like Peter? I am Peter. I can see Peter in me so, so much, and I, I guess I've kind of gotten into Peter. Back... Several years ago, Donna and I started teaching a Sunday school class, and we started with Genesis. And over the years, we've gone through Genesis all the way to Malachi. And I've gotten a great insight into God's Word when you look at it, the panoramic view of what He has here, rather than just picking out little snippets here and there. You look at the panoramic view. And out of that, I've come to find that there's three things that I like to focus on as I'm studying the Bible and, and God reveal with me. One is themes, patterns, and types that you see in the Bible. You see, the Old Testament is physical pictures of spiritual truths revealed in the New Testament. So what we see in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And as we look through here, we can see these things. For instance, themes, the themes of kingdom, worship, Messiah and atonement, God's glory, mission, sin, covenant, law, grace, second birth, types that we see, types of Christ with Adam, Abel, Abel Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, David, Jonah of all people. I just got through listening to a series of sermons by Tim Keller on Jonah, very revealing in there. And patterns that we see in the Bible, water, bread, marriage, the numbers in the Bible that we see. But there's one that has really intrigued me quite a bit when I look at patterns. Have you ever noticed that it was never the elder that was the inheritor in the Bible? You know, in Jewish times, it was the older brother that was always the inheritor. But what we see in the pattern here, we see the younger brothers being the inheritor. It wasn't Ishmael, it was Isaac. It wasn't Esau, it was Jacob. Do you see that pattern through there? It wasn't David's brothers, it was David. And as you go through the Bible, you see it was always the younger that was inherited, that was the inheritor. And I always wondered, as, as Don and I were studying through uh, the Old Testament, I saw that pattern, and why? Why was that pattern there? And I asked, I asked the, my, Donna, my wife, I said, 
Why do you think it's there? He said, well, Jack, it's simple. I said, if it's that simple, please reveal it to me. Let me understand it. And she says, where the first Adam fell, the second Adam completed it. Isn't that beautiful? See those patterns through the Bible? And I love the patterns that's in there. That's why I like Peter. Because I see me and Peter, and I see the patterns that Peter went through that's been in my life as well. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, our, our church team went to the, uh, or attended by, by technology, web, the Global Leadership Seminar. And there's a guy that was leading it, uh, is Craig Croshall. And he, he talked about a book that he had written. It was called dangerous prayers and that title really intrigued me I, I downloaded the book I'm, I'm into Kindle I, I like my Kindle that's where I've got my library I downloaded it and you know what those dangerous prayers were search me break me send me wow those, for the believer, those are dangerous prayers because you know something? He'll do it. But he'll do it in the ways that you don't want. I've got a high school classmate. His name is Sean. Sean came to Corinth. I'm from Corinth, Mississippi. Sean came to Corinth as a junior in high school. Good looking guy. Very well liked. Great personality. Uh, just, just fit right in when he first got there. Word was on the street that his dad was a professional gambler connected with Vegas and somewhat with the mob, the mafia kind of thing. True or not, I don't know. That's, that's you know how we are when we high school. We like to look at some of those things. But Sean was a rapscallion. Friendly, good looking, but he was a rapscallion. After high school, he and his, his high school sweetheart had to get married, went to college. And the words that we got back from college was that he was even more of a rapscallion. Drugs, had a young baby there, having to step over people in the living room to get to the bedrooms, things like that. This is what we heard. Well, Donald and I, back in 1974, went to this Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts in Memphis. It's a week-long seminar. Great seminar, very, for me at that time, it was a very revealing seminar. And I looked over there and there was Sean and Jan Lee. And I told Don, wow, man, what's going on? Look at, there's, there's Sean, after all the things we heard. Well, I go over there and I'm, I'm talking to them both and then all of a sudden, very abruptly, Sean turns and leaves. Leaves Janelle and I there, very awkward silence. Like, what just happened? You can see Janelle kind of looking out of the corner of her eye, like, why did Sean do that? Well, I went back, sat down with Donna, said, There's something going on here. I don't know what's happening, but there's something going on here. That was 1974. Sean became a Christian. I later found out, actually, last summer when I talked to Sean, and I'll share a little bit more about that conversation in a minute that that was on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Sean accepted Christ as his Savior at that seminar. So we fast forward, I heard that Sean had become a Christian. 
Well, we're having our 10-year class reunion, 1977. We graduated in 67. So don't, don't start ciphering up, see how old I am. I'll tell you, I'm 72. All right, I'm old. But in 1977, Sean's mother-in-law called, called Donna and said, do you mind if Sean Gentile goes to the reunion with you? They feel very uncomfortable going back and being with the folks that they were with while they were in high school, and they'd like somebody to be there as kind of a support person. Sure, glad to. Well, we went over to, to Sean's mother-in-law's house where they were staying, picked up Sean gently, and he had no more got in the back of the car, and we were greeting one another, and he stuck a knife in my back and twisted it. He said, were you a Christian in high school? That hurt. That hurt. Well, last summer, and I've been keeping up with Sean and, and Jan Lee over the years, and I've had lunch with Sean, but last summer we had lunch, and I said, Sean, do you remember that, that night of 77? Yeah. He said, you stuck a knife in my back. He said, how'd I do that? He said, you had to ask me if I was a Christian in high school. Now, I come to receive the Lord when I was 12, and I was a good kid in high school. Sean said that. I said, well, you were a good kid in high school. I says, yeah, but that don't make a difference. You shouldn't have had to ask that question. You see, when God comes in our life, he doesn't make good better. He brings death to life. And I didn't understand that. And I, I, I was jealous of Sean when I heard he became a Christian because I heard the great things he was doing in Memphis and Germantown area, and I was jealous because he appreciated his salvation more than I did. But it's only recently... In the last several years, I came to understand that I was just as lost as Sean. He was just as lost as I am. And the blood that was shed for Sean was no more, no less than what was shed for me. We were in the same boat together. And I understand and I appreciate my salvation more than I understand that. And I appreciate Sean and, and, and what he's done in the Memphis area and the mentoring that he's done and how God has used him. And, and uh, I appreciate that. But that's something that really hurt me when he said that because I'd been a Christian since I was 12, going through high school, and I was a good kid. But he had to ask the question, were you a Christian? That's why I like Peter so much because I can see Peter in me many times. As I've gone through and I've looked at this, I see that Peter had, we're going to talk about three fires of Peter, uh, but actually there's four. There's a fourth one in 1 Peter that we won't get to today. That's a different one that takes a whole lot more than time that we got today, but there's three fires that we need to look at Peter. You see, Peter was that brash person. He was very self-confident. He was the guy that, that at the transfiguration that stood up and, and, and the Bible says that he didn't know what to say. He was so astounded that all he could say was, let's build three altars. Let's take some stones. Let's build three altars to, to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus for what we see here. This is amazing. And he says because he didn't know what else to say. He, had, he felt like he had to say something. But God intervenes and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So many times we want to take action when all we really need to do is listen. Just need to listen. 
Peter's that guy who, when Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And, and Peter says, you are the son of God, the living God. Confessed him. Peter's the one that says, says uh, when Jesus says, I must go away, I must die. He said, uh-uh, we're not gonna let it happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You can't stop this. It's gonna happen. Then it brings us to that night at the Passover when Jesus says, Jesus says, tonight I, somebody's gonna deny me. And the disciples get in an uproar. And there was John, they say the disciple that Jesus loved, which we assume was John, that was next to Jesus. And Peter leans over to John and says, John, John, you got his ear. Ask him who it is. I want to make sure it's not going to be me. Ask him who it is. And then we see where Judas later leaves and goes out and does what, he's, what he was to do. And Jesus again says, I must go away. And Peter says, no, I'll die for you. And then Jesus comes back with this little statement and he says, die for me? Listen, Peter, before the rooster crows twice the next day, you'll deny me three times. Mm -mm, not me. I'll never deny you. I'll die before I'll deny you. Interesting, isn't it? Hits me home. It hits me home. I'm there. I'm with it. Well, Jesus is arrested. He goes to the high priest courtyard, back and forth. Peter's tagging along in the shadows, seeing what's going along. Somebody sees him and says, Hey, aren't you one of them? Mm -mm, not me. I'm not one of them. They move into another courtyard. Peter comes up and somebody says, I know you, you're one of them, aren't you? No, I'm not one of them. And then just before they get ready to take him to Pilate, Peter's there in the shadow, standing, standing around a fire. A little servant girl says, yes, you are. I know you, you're one of them. No, confounded, I am not one of them. Will you leave me alone? And there's the rooster. But there's a verse that we often miss. Verse 61 in that chapter of Luke. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Woo! Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever had that look? I remember my mother with some of those looks. And I often wonder, what was that look that Jesus gave him? Was it one of anger? Nah. Betrayal? He already knew it was going to happen. Was it one of a broken heart? Could be. But I think it was a look that Jesus looked at him and says, it's okay, I understand. I understand your heart. I understand where it is. 
You see, there's that, that verse in the 23rd Psalm that says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I looked at that verse one night, looking up some words, and that word follow is not really follow, like kind of tagging along. That word follow is like a animal pursuing the prey. That's what it means. That goodness and mercy pursues me all the days of my life. God is constantly pursuing. He's pursuing us. Sometimes we need to slow down and turn around and let him catch us. But he's pursuing us. He loves us. He pursues us. He pursued us so much that he came to earth. I love this song, Eric. Thank you for the, and, and, and music team. Songs are wonderful. He came to earth. He pursues us. He pursues us. Was I a Christian in high school? Sometimes through busyness, we ignore that. Sometimes we even leave the faith because we can't face it. I just got through with a, a, uh, the, the Tim Keller series on Jonah. And I like his whole series on Jonah, where Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. And God told him, get out of your comfort zone and go over there to Nineveh, who wants to destroy you. And he ran away. But thank God, God still pursues us. Pursues us. He pursued Jonah. Whole another story about that, but he pursued Jonah. And what a story that is, what a type that is of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. He pursues us. Well, I see myself with Peter in the denial. Jesus, as you well know, goes to the cross, crucified. On the resurrection, though, he appears. And if you read the account in there, they really didn't think that he, there was something going on here because they didn't either believe he was, he was Jesus when he appeared to them or they thought it was a ghost but there's something different there. But Jesus appears to him several times. But that first fire around that fire of denial leads us to the second fire. You see, the disciples were a little discon disconcerted. They were going their way. They were sitting together wondering what the next step would be. And they're in the upper room and they say, let's go fishing. And so eight or 10 of them get in the boat, go fishing. And they fish all night, didn't catch a thing. Well, dawn is breaking, and somebody on the shore hollers and says, y'all catch anything? Hadn't caught a thing. Well, try casting your net on the right side of the boat. And they did, and they couldn't pull it in. They had to row it in. They couldn't pull it in, it was so heavy. But you know how many fish they had? It says it there. 153. It's the only account that it ever says how many, except for the two fishes and five loaves. 153 fish there. They had to row it in, but Peter couldn't wait. He notices the Lord, he jumps in all, and heads over there to greet him. He was so thankful to see the Lord. Well, they get on shore. Jesus has breakfast ready for them. He's cooking the fish over there. 
And I don't know if you can picture it. I can picture it in my mind. They're on the shore in the morning. They've been fishing all night. They've got a full stomach. So I see that all the disciples asleep except for Peter. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Ooh. You know, there's that elephant in the room, right? You're sitting there, you're eating, you're kind of catching the eye, but you don't really want to look. You know that there's something needs to be said, but there's nothing being said. There's got, somebody's got to break the tension. And the Lord says, Peter, do you love me? But he uses that word, do you love me from the heart? Do you love me from the depths that you would die for me, that you'd give your life for me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you like a friend. And Jesus says, go, feed my lambs, pastor, provide, pastor these, provide for them, sustain them. And a little bit later, they're sitting around the fire and Jesus again says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I, I love you like a friend. And Jesus goes on and says, take care of my sheep, provide the leadership, shepherd them. And then the third time, <clears throat> he comes up and he says, Peter, do you love me like a friend? He meets Peter where he is. And what does Peter say? You know my heart. Yes, I love you like a friend. And then he says, go, feed my sheep, fodder them, feed them, be a teacher to them, provoke the spiritual welfare for them that, that we give you to look after. And then in the end, he renews Peter. He says, don't go off and change and then come back. He says, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Two words. God, listen to me. Jesus, follow me. Follow me. And Peter is sustained. He's reinvigorated. And they go. Well, we move on. Two fires, the fire around the denial, the fire of confrontation. But there's an interesting third fire that Peter encounters. So they're up in the upper room following Jesus' instructions. They're gathered, they're praying, they're worshiping. And then there's a sound. There's a sound of a rushing wind that comes on. And then there's that fire of the Holy Spirit that comes in and lights on their head. Not only does it empower them, but it answers all the questions they've had for three years about what this is all about, about why he had to go away, about the, what the scripture said in the Old Testament about him, how they've been revealed, they've been opened up. It's kind of like that last chapter of Luke on the road to Emmaus, how their eyes were opened to the scriptures and they knew him. They knew him. Fire of empowerment. 
Search me, break me, send me. They went out into the courtyards, they started preaching, people were converted. Just like what Jonah did when he went to Nineveh. He didn't give them options. He said in 40 days, God's gonna destroy you. Simple message. And they came because the Spirit revealed that to them. They came. You know the heart of the matter is the heart. It's about the heart. My mother used to say, I don't feel like I've been to church unless my toes have been stepped on. Have you heard that? Well, I got an evangelist friend of mine, I was sharing that with him, he says, well, my comment was, ma'am, I'm sorry. I wasn't aiming for your toes, I was aiming for your heart. It's the heart. The heart of the matter, it's about the heart, where our heart is. Barna, there's a Barna group that surveyed 15,000 people or more, and they came back with 10 areas that people fell into in their spiritual life, so to speak. He calls them transformational steps. The first one is unaware of sin. Don't have a clue about sin in my life. Never been taught about it, just unaware of sin. The second one, unaware of sin and really not concerned about it. The third, aware of sin and there's something more. The fourth one is coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fifth one, saved and active in church. According to the survey, 89% of the people fell into those first five categories. But then there's another five that's up there that leads us. The number six was a holy discontent. Not satisfied with just coming to church and going home. There's gotta be more to this Christian life than getting saved. There's more to it. I wanna know more. And the more we get into the Word, the more we succumb to the Holy Spirit, it leads us to the next phase, which Peter sees here, brokenness. Being broken. Understanding who we are in God's sight, not people's sight. Not your neighbor's sight. But understanding how God sees us. And once we have that realization, it leads to the next one, surrender and submission to the will of God. Do you remember when the young man came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Number nine, when, you, when we have that submission, we have a profound love of God a profound love of God. We say we love God, but when God asks us to get out of our comfort zone, that's when we really know how much it is. And number 10, a profound love of people. We cannot have a profound love of people until we have that profound love of God. Because then we understand, we can see them with empathy. We can understand where they are. We can see their background. We don't look at their actions, but we understand them as people. We can see them as God sees them. 
Anybody in here? I, did anybody know Henry and Hazel Slaughter? Anybody ever hear of them? They're a gospel duet back in the 50s and 60s. And he had a song. He says, Lord, let me see people through your eyes. And that touched me way back 30, 40 years ago, and I still remember it. Lord, let me see people as you see them, not as I see them. Profound love of people. That's where we go. Search me, break me, send me. We all want normal, right? We're in the, we've, in the since March, we've been abnormal. I'm a sales guy. I've been sitting in the office since March, not making a single sales call, and I hate it. I want to get out there. I want to be able to get out and travel and sell and interact with folks. But I hear this word, let's get back to normal. Well, folks, I say let's get back to better than normal. Let's not get back the way it was. Let's make it better. You know, there's a difference between an average Christian and a normal Christian. Have you ever thought about that? 89%, 11%. Average, normal. When we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life, we become normal. We become better than normal. I'll finish with this. I, I, you probably never heard, you, we, we have a lot of translations of the Bible out there. The one I've been become really intrigued with is called the Jewish Complete Bible. And it's, 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 in, it's translated through the eyes of a Messianic Jew. And we're all familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew. It says, go into all the world, preaching, teaching, baptizing in my name. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Preaching, teaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I really do like what the complete Jewish Bible says. It says, go into all the world, preaching and teaching, immersing people into the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow. That's strong. So many times we just want to get them into heaven, but we forget about the reality of the thing. Reality. Is he real? Are we normal? Search me. Break me. Send me. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us the word of truth. Today's world, we see so much untruth, we see so much fear, but Father, you are truth. Father, when we go into the cosmos and we see the wonders of your world that technology's brought us through the telescopes, we see these galaxies, we see them exploding, we see them glorious, what great fireworks they are. It makes us seem so small. But Father, thank you that you love me. You love everyone here, that you pursue us. Father, during this time that we've, we've been homebound, 
May we turn around and let you catch us. Do your work in us, Father, as you will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in, with, by, and through you and each one of us here today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for watching. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you will find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.